Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. So who are we watching anyway? Her name is Maria McGuire. Long brown hair, brown eyes, mm, 313 pounds. 313 pounds? Let me see that. I would imagine that's fully clothed. Oh my God, how she could be the house. This is disgusting. I hate this job. Two undercover cops on the trail of an escaped killer, staking out the house of his unsuspecting girlfriend. I think she's gone on a diet. Everything was routine. Lucy, you got some splaining photo. <laughs> Until one of them stepped out of line. He was supposed to be watching the house, right? So I was watching the house from the inside. Out of the shadows. What a bozo. And into the picture. I don't believe this. You like spicy? I love spicy. I'm gonna kill him. You're nice. I'm not that nice. Look, Maria, there are things about me that you don't know. I don't know your name. Oh, <laughs> uh, 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 Bill. Get out of the house. It's you I want. Get out of the house. <laughs> Guess who this is? Cover me! <laughs> Nothing going on here, just some dull old police work. Honey, I'm home! No funny stuff. No funny stuff. You used to be a hell of a cop, man. Uh, well, uh, it was uh, kind of, a, you know, uh, some... Uh... You've been watching me? I'm not going down with you. I hope you believe in reincarnation. Yeah, I think you're right. I screwed up. Touchstone Pictures presents Richard Dreyfus and Emilio Estevez in a John Badham movie. Did we uh, practice safe sex? Probably, Probably not. not. Stakeout. Who says a little danger can't be a lot of fun? Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie Stakeout from 1987. The studio was Touchstone Pictures. The release date was August 5th, 1987. The running time, 117 minutes, and the rating was R. The budget, $14.5 million, and the box office was a success, taking in $65.6 million, making it the seventh-ranked movie of 1987. Rotten Tomatoes gives the movie 88% fresh from 26 reviews. Their critics' consensus is Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez make for great company during this stakeout. A body procedural that mines great pleasure from the odd couple's comedic chemistry. Roger Ebert at the time gave the movie 3 out of 4 stars, and here's his review. Richard Dreyfuss always had a certain cockiness about him. He carries himself like a high school basketball guard, ready to fake you out and go for the basket. And he talks the same way, often with a little smile to let you know that there's an edge to his thinking, an angle. He had a way about him in the apprenticeship of Duddy Kravitz, and he has it still. It keeps me watching him even during the slow passages of his movies. There's always a feeling that what you see is not necessarily all you get. Dreyfus and his style are the two best things in Stakeout, a movie that consists of a good idea surrounded by a bad one. The good idea is the film's basic premise. Two cops stake out a good-looking woman whose ex-boyfriend is a dangerous escaped convict. During the long, weary hours while they're watching her, one of the cops falls in love. He finds a way to move into her life, leaving his partner stuck across the street with the binoculars. That's the good idea. Further fleshed out with the notion that Dreyfus and his partner, Emilio Estevez, alternate shifts with two other cops who don't much like them. What would happen if the other cops saw Dreyfus waking up in bed with the suspect? The movie's bad idea is that this comic notion needs to be surrounded by a violent thriller. The two parts of the movie don't go together. The violence is out of keeping with the humor. The humor can't develop into a context of brutality. And yet, there's a long central stretch in the movie when things do work, when the courtship between Dreyfus and the suspect, Madeline Stowe, gets interesting. I like the relationship between Dreyfus and Stowe, who plays the headstrong Latina, but I might have liked it a bit more if they cast a funnier actress in the lead role. Maybe Maria Conchita Alonso. Since it's likely that her director, John Badham, tested Alonso for this role, I wonder why he didn't cast her. Perhaps because she has an irrepressible good humor about her and always seems to be amused by everything. She has the same sort of extra angle that Dreyfus delivers. Maybe Badham was afraid that good humor would work against the violence in the film. 
But all that's speculation. All that I can say is that Stakeout is an example of a movie that would have been a lot better if the filmmakers had been prepared to trust the human dimensions of their characters, to follow these people where their personalities led. Instead, Batum takes out an insurance policy by adding the assembly line violence. What is it? Has mainstream Hollywood so lost touch with the simple human nature that there can't be a cop movie without everyone being blown away? And that's the end of Ebert's review. Now, I do understand what Ebert was saying with his review about the film almost shoehorning a violent action plot, but this never bothered me when I first saw the film, and it doesn't bother me now 30 years later. As Ebert mentioned, Dreyfus steals the show in this film, but that's not to understate Emilio Estevez's performance. Estevez knows what works for his character, and he doesn't try to outdo Dreyfus, which makes a great tandem, and I think why the film did so well. Plus, it doesn't hurt having the beautiful Madeline Stowe as the leading lady. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, Richard Dreyfus plays Chris. Dreyfus, by this point, was having a resurgence to his career in Hollywood. His career began in the 1960s with many small TV appearances. His breakout film was playing Kurt in American Graffiti in 1973, and then two years later as Hooper in the 1975 classic Jaws. Some other notable films prior to Stakeout for Dreyfus, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Goodbye Girl, which he won Best Actor. He was the youngest actor ever to win at that point. He was only 30 years old. But after that, Dreyfus sort of had his blackout period because he was badly addicted to cocaine before being arrested in 1982 after totaling his car and being charged with possession. After rehab, his comeback started in 1986 with Down and Out and Beverly Hills and then kept going with Stakeout and later films. Emilio Estevez plays Bill. By this point, Estevez was moving away from the so-called Brat Pack group of actors that he was grouped with in the mid-80s. Of course, he had the acting lineage in his blood, with his father being Martin Sheen and, of course, his brother Charlie. And you might wonder why Emilio has the name of Estevez. Well, Martin Sheen's birth name was Ramon Estevez. Emilio's career started in the 1980s, with 1983's The Outsiders being the big film to start his career. Then he just took off with many of my favorite films in the 1980s, one being the cult classic Repo Man, which we will cover at some point, The Breakfast Club, St. Elmo's Fire, and Maximum Overdrive, which we also covered before Stakeout came out. Now, as for Madeline Stowe and Aidan Quinn, this would be Stowe's major film debut after being a TV actress for the beginning of her career. And Quinn was best known at this point for his role as Dez in Desperately Seeking Susan with Rosanna Arquette and Madonna. The director, John Badham. Now, I covered his early career for Badham during this Saturday Night Fever episode. After the huge success of that film, he followed it up with a few more big films like War Games in 1983 with Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy and Short Circuit, which was again with Ali Sheedy and Steve Gutenberg. All right, let's get into the film. Now, first off, and this is unrelated to the actual film, I must say Touchstone Pictures is the absolute worst with their DVDs. Always bare bones and rarely any extras, which is a shame because growing up in the 1980s, it seemed like I often I rented a ton of Touchstone movies. It's beyond me why uh, the sequel, Another Stakeout, is on Blu-ray, but the original Stakeout film is not. It's so lame. Also, for whatever reason, there are next to no video clips available for the original Stakeout. So, you are, unfortunately, stuck with me (laughs) predominantly for the film recap. This might disappoint some. Anyway, the film begins with some action and also some great tension as we see a medical supply truck pull into a prison. Kayla Reese, played by Ian Tracy, is driving a van. Before pulling in, he loads a gun and hides it under his seat. One of the bullets falls from his hand while loading... And it's on the step next to the driver's seat. However, the guards do not see it. Richard Stick Montgomery, played by Aiden Quinn, is anxiously waiting in his jail cell. He has set up a fight with his cellmate to cause a disturbance in the cell block. Pretty standard trope. During the fight, the other prisoners cause a fire by lighting the books on fire. Stick is then stabbed by his cellmate, which is all part of the setup. And this is in order to be admitted into the medical room. Once he's admitted, then Kaler comes from the supply room and pulls a gun on the guards and the doctor. And then Stick beats the guards and the doctors very badly. Kaler leaves the prison, but Stick must escape through the medical room window as the guards inspect the truck after leaving. Stick jumps through the window onto the truck and then gets underneath the truck 
and then hides in the back so the guards do not find him. This is a very well done and tense action scene as he's almost being dragged by the truck. The FBI goes through Stick's cell and discovers that his ex-girlfriend, Maria McGuire, played by Madeline Stowe, visited Stick a few times while he was incarcerated, and she now lives in Seattle. We then cut to Chris, Richard Dreyfus, and Bill, Emilio Estevez, who are two Seattle detectives on a stakeout at the Seattle fishing docks. Chris almost apprehends their guy as they both fall into a conveyor belt full of fish. Now, this is definitely a comedy action film as the dock workers playfully throw fish at Chris as he goes down the line of the belt. In the meantime, Bill chases the suspect throughout the docks. He jumps into a forklift in an attempt to catch a suspect. However, he ends up getting in the way when Chris has his sights on the guy. Bill ends up crashing into the ocean and the suspect gets away. Chris and Bill return to the police station and are greeted with looks of disgust because Chris reeks a fish. In a typical buddy cop trope, the competing detectives who always gives the guys shit are Phil, played by Dan Loria, you might remember him as Kevin Arnold's dad in The Wonder Years, and Jack, played by Forrest Whitaker. And it's kind of funny that Dan Loria's character in Wonder Years was named Jack, though keep in mind in this film he's called Phil. The four detectives are called into Captain Giles' office, played by Earl Billings, and they meet the FBI agent assigned to the Stick Montgomery case. We discover that Stick was originally put away for killing an FBI agent, and Kaler, the guy who helped break him out, is Stick's cousin. They're currently in Wyoming, and the FBI has six stakeouts set up in various locations. They believe they will head to Mexico. However, because of Stick's ex, Maria, who lives in Seattle, the FBI wants a stakeout on her. And this is where the four detectives come in. The detectives will watch her house and the restaurant she works in, and the FBI has rented the house across the street from Maria's house. The detectives are less than thrilled with this detail, as all they are instructed to do is report. They are told explicitly that if they see Stick or Kaler, they are to call the FBI and not to apprehend either man. Phil and Jack will get the day shifts, and Chris and Bill will get nights. And sadly, because there are no clips available for this film, I'm unable to provide some of the great witty dialogue between Dreyfus and Estevez. Now, don't get me wrong, the action is very well done, and the story is a good thriller, but the comedy is what makes this film unique. It's sort of in the vein of Beverly Hills Cop and Lethal Weapon. The witty banner is, of course, necessary since most of the early stakeout scenes are uneventful as they're waiting to even see if Maria appears. Their initial report of Maria says that she's an Irish-Mexican, brown hair, brown eyes, 5'6", and weighs 313 pounds. <laughs> However, once Maria does appear at her home, they discover the weight was slightly off, you know, by about 200 pounds. And Maria, of course, is absolutely gorgeous. Chris and Bill also love to play pranks on Phil and Jack during their shift change. For example, when Phil goes to use the bathroom, when he opens up the door, rolls and rolls of toilet paper come streaming down on top of him. When Chris arrives back to his home, he wants nothing more than to get some sleep. However, the city has decided to cut down trees in front of his building. The garbage trucks are doing their thing, and also his girlfriend has moved out without telling him. We then cut to Stick and Kaler, as, and as it turns out, they will be heading to Seattle to see Maria. No surprise. Not because Stick wants to get back with her, but he stashed a lot of cash in her house without her even knowing it. That night on their stakeout, Chris and Bill attempt to bug Maria's telephone line from the pole outside. In the middle of the bugging, Stick attempts to call Maria, but Chris disconnects the call unknowingly. Chris then decides it would be better to bug Maria's phones directly and knocks on her door, acting like he's from the phone company. Maria, who is realizing her phone has been having issues and doesn't want to wait, a while to have, you know, the service guys come back, she allows Chris to fix her phones. Chris adds bugs to her kitchen and bedroom phones. Chris also discovers a cutout newspaper article and the breakout of Stick in her bureau drawer. Before her phone call from Stick, Maria received a phone call from her mom saying that her brother was arrested. Once Chris is left after bugging the phones, Maria then left the house to presumably visit her brother in jail. Chris decides to go back into Maria's house and look for clues, even though Bill is vehemently against it. Chris then discovers some of the letters Stick sent to Maria. But of course, Maria returns when Chris is still in the house. This, of course, leads to some great suspense, because Chris has to hide under her bed while Bill watches the whole thing. And this is really funny and also suspenseful, because Maria decides to get into the shower, and she plays Miami Sound Machine's Rhythm Is Gonna Get You, while Chris is trying to escape. 
But of course, he doesn't immediately race out of the house, as he should, because the temptation to see a nude Maria is just too much for him to pass up. Dreyfus is great in this scene as he dances a bit to the music while debating about spying on her. He eventually goes out her bedroom window before she sees him. That night on stakeout, the pranks continue as Phil and Jack leave a dog turd in the fridge instead of food. And I forgot to mention that Phil always brings his bulldog in every stakeout he's involved in. So that night, Chris goes to the grocery store to get some food for the night and runs into Maria, which leads to a quick funny scene with the checkout clerk. 1613. Hope your phone breaks real soon. Fix it if it does. I promise. Bye. Eating in between meals? Eating in between meals. So as Maria leaves the grocery store, she discovers that her bike has a flat tire. She sees Chris getting into his car and asks for a ride home. And Chris kind of hesitantly agrees. She asks what his name is, and Chris stammers and ends up saying his name is Bill. <laughs> the real Bill, who is on stakeout, is stunned to see Chris pull up to Maria's house and carry her bike in. Chris calls Bill and tells him he'll be late as Maria has invited him to dinner. So you can tell that Maria really likes Chris and often says how nice he is, which gives Chris the opening to ask if she's been involved with many quote-unquote bad guys in the past. Maria vaguely describes her relationship with Stick without naming him, only saying that it was crazy. It's also obvious that Chris is starting to have feelings for Maria, which goes without saying is a major conflict of interest here. In the meantime, Stick and Kayla rob a gas station on their way to Seattle. Chris decides to help out Maria's brother Ray, who was arrested due to dating a girl whose father didn't like Ray and had him arrested on trumped-up charges. Chris gets Ray released under the condition that he takes a construction job that Chris has lined up for him, or he's going to go back to jail, and Ray gladly takes the deal. Captain Giles sees Chris in the station and tells him that the other two detectives had their stakeout cover blown on another case, so they better be careful. And this leads to Chris running into Maria at the station right after this conversation because she's there to see her brother. Chris talks his way out of it and quickly leaves. The next prank that Bill plays on Phil and Jack is to put an unruly cat in their car so that Phil's bulldog gets attacked, <laughs> and Bill laughs uncontrollably as the cat chases the bulldog down the street. Okay, so there's about an hour left in the film, and there's tons more to cover, but I think by now you should be totally intrigued and want to watch the movie for yourself. Plus, there's not a lot of clips here, so I really think you should see the movie. Stick and Kayla are about five miles away from the Washington border at this point, so you know there's going to be an inevitable standoff with them and Maria. And what about Chris? He definitely has a thing for Maria, and will his feelings get in the way of his job? And what pranks will Bill continue to pull on the other detectives? The last hour will cover all of that and more. And if you're wondering, because it's the 80s, there is a great car chase scene and, of course, fight scenes as well. Stakeout is a terrific example of a great action buddy comedy from the 80s, and to me, a forgotten gem in many ways. All right, some fun facts. Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez were having a movie trivia contest on the set one day, and Estevez asked Dreyfuss to identify the movie that had the line, This is no boating accident. <laughs> and funny enough, Dreyfuss didn't recognize the quote, despite the fact that he was the actor who said it in Jaws. Deciding this was too good to pass up, the incident was reenacted for the film. Aiden Quinn actually replaced Val Kilmer. Kilmer was originally cast as Stick, but dropped out before filming began. So along with Lethal Weapon, Leonard Nimoy was considered as director on both films, but not apparently comfortable with directing a big action film, so he agreed to sign on to direct Three Men and a Baby, which that might be coming up really soon, guys. All right, I do have one video clip, which is not from the film, but it's promoting the film with Madeline Stowe and director John Badham as they appeared on Good Morning America with Kathleen Sullivan promoting Stakeout in 1987. So why don't we play that now? Stowe fall in love, and boy, that does that cause some problems. What's wrong? It's morning. Uh, you gonna be late for work? Uh huh. Could you call and tell him you'll be a little late, maybe? Uh huh. Listen, uh, you think you could lend me a hat? A hat? 
Yeah, yeah, hat. I got this really bad skin condition, and it's very dangerous for me to go out in the sun. Like a rash? Yeah, yeah, like a rash. It's, 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 it's but it's worse. Oh, is this one of the things you don't want to tell me about? No, 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 no. It's nothing, really. It's nothing serious. I'm not sure it's your color. And joining me are the lady you just saw, Madeline Stowe. This is her first released feature film. And a man you didn't see, he was behind the cameras, the director of Stakeout, as well as Blue Thunder, War Games, Whose Life Is It Anyway, Saturday Night Fever, Dracula, Short Circuit. I think this guy has a future. <laughs> John Bell. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. You actually had trouble casting this part, didn't you? of Maria mm -hmm. that Madeline plays. We talked to every female member of the Screen Actors Guild. Well, not quite. Helen Hayes was not available. She was doing something else. But uh, we went through everybody and talked about, discussed, and the trouble was we had a part that was half Latin, half American. And uh, it was very important to us because the writer's wife is half Latin, half American. He wrote it for her, and she was in there wanting to make sure that we had the right, <laughs> the right person. And Richard Dreyfuss was there wanting to make sure we had the right person. And Disney, so we had all of these helpers. So uh, Madeline came in and did a wonderful reading with our casting director, Mike Fenton, and got him totally embarrassed. He, <laughs> he blushed up, <laughs> up to here. I said, let's test her. So, so I went in and did a communist election where we had one person testing Madeline and showed him this said, here she is. You are considered a director who loves women. Uh, you photograph Madeline beautifully. Was that important to you, Madeline? the best love thing. I can't tell you. He's great. Yeah. Was, was, I think he does. Would you ask that question again, please? <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching these contra hearings. I know how to do this. How important is it for a director to uh, love women when they photograph women? I think you have to love the actor that you're working with. You have to want to take care of them. You, you want them to look their best. And you don't want to go in on these wide-angle lenses and, and, and making them look terrible. Everybody needs a little care and love to, to look their best so that the audience loves them, too. When you did Saturday Night Fever, I believe there was a story that John Travolta was supposed to wear a white suit. And you told him he was going to look better in a white suit, and he disagreed with you. Oh, he said, well, I'm going out to buy a black suit. Black suits look cool. I said, I don't think you want a black suit. I mean, maybe white. No, no, it's going to be black. I said, well, Karen Gorney will be very happy about that. And he, what do you mean she'll be happy? I said, well, she's got a red dress on, and that means everybody will look at her, and they won't see you because the black will just go into the, the disco. Well, hmm. About three hours later, he came back. He had four white suits with him. <laughs> and a whole friend was born. Madeline, a big break for you, this picture, isn't it? Yeah. A little girl from Glendale, California. <laughs> yeah, pretty strange town. It's this real provincial um, little place, real inhibiting. I'll never forget when we finally moved. I had originally been kind of an extroverted child, and when we moved there, it was disastrous to me because it was my first year in junior high school, and I wore the same dress twice in the same week, and it was all over. That was it. That, I'm telling you, that's, that's the kind of town it is. But... Uh, I pulled through it somehow. <laughs> John oh, Batter, thanks for joining us this morning. Okay. It's always nice to have you well, here. Thanks for talking to us. Good, Good luck to you with Stakeout. Thank you. And we'll be back with Double. All right, I do have two special guests, and it's basically a grown-up rock podcast because I have Stephen Michael and Sonny Pooney, who both recorded interviews separately about Stakeout, and you know what? They're great as always. And also be sure to check out the Grown Up Rock podcast because they always put together a really terrific weekly podcast. They're always a lot of fun. Plus, I'm going to be on multiple episodes coming up, so be on the lookout. And I will be back next week to talk about yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Sonny Pooney from the Grown Up Rock podcast and Podcast Rock City. Welcome back, Sonny. Well, what's up, sir? Glad to be back. Yeah, so we're going to do, just like your partner in crime, Stephen Michael, on the Grown Up Rock podcast, So you, you kind of have that buddy uh, duo going on. So we're going to talk about one of the ultimate kind of buddy cop movies, especially the 80s, because that's when buddy cop movies sort of take off. And that's Stakeout from 1987. And we, as we know, 
mid to late 80s is like your bang zone for music and and uh, and movies. And so I'm assuming this one right off the bat you loved. I loved it right out of the bat. I uh, got it as a rental because I'm only mm-hmm. 17 when this thing comes out. Right. right so right. I'm kind of catching up on the 80s movies. But uh, I've seen this thing probably 50 to 75 times. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, right off the bat, I remember, I'm pretty sure my parents let me watch it, even though it was rated R, because even though there's some suggestive scenes, it's not that it's, it's not that risque, uh, compared to other stuff that came out. Um, but yeah, so right off the bat, what, what were you a Richard Dreyfus fan? Were you an Emilio fan? Well, what drew this uh, to you initially? I think it was the buddy cop thing that drew me initially because I really didn't know anything about either actor, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, and I didn't know Madeline Stowe at all. Right. right. So it was more about, I was into buddy cop movies because I love lethal weapon, love, you know, um, Beverly Hills cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 48 hours, all of those movies. So it's like, I, this, you know, when you look at the video rental, you know, it was very visual back then. Right. So kind of sure. look at it and then you kind of <laughs> read the back. I'm like, Oh yeah, I might like this movie. And then just tried it out. Right. And plus if you, if you know the movie poster, it's basically a, a female sitting on the bed, taking off her, her shoes and, and you see, Dreyfus and, and Estevez underneath the bed kind of with this kind of mischievous look on their face. Yeah, that's not all bad either, right? It, it entices the teenager. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, we get into it and then, so you start to watch it and so what are your, what characters really stood out for you and was it was it the plot? Was it the comedy? Was it everything? Like what what really what makes this one of your favorite movies? You know, if you're going to watch it 50 times, this has to be one of your favorites. Oh yeah. So there's a couple things. First of all, Aiden Quinn is playing an amazing bad guy. Yeah. Right there. They're just some guys that can do it really, really well. And, uh, he played a great character. I really like that. The movie, the, the buddy cops are actually friends. Cause there's yeah. a lot of the times where a lot of the movies we just mentioned, it's a first time meet. They don't really get along with each other. Right. Or they don't really know each other that well. And then their relationship grows over the movie and into, you know, Beverly Hills cop two and three and blah, blah, blah. Right here, they're actually friends. So they have inside jokes, right? And you can, you can play off of that by making it serious when it has to be because they know each other so well. So when Richard's, you know, girlfriend leaves them or whatever, right? There's, there's that hint of, Hey, are you okay? Don't crack the bottle yet. You know, those things can't happen if you don't already know each other. Right. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. Cause usually like in lethal weapon, they're brand new partners at that time. And there's, there's something to that too, right? Because the first time you meet somebody and it's going to be a long life friend, you don't know that when you first meet them. Right. So right. the movies that do that are speeding all of that relationship up, which in real life would be years. Right. But, sure. um, but it, it absolutely works. There's no doubt about that. I thought the escape scene was very dangerous. I'm like, for some reason, the other day I'm watching it going, God, there's like a hundred things that could go wrong right here. Sure. No, everything has to go exactly as planned. Otherwise everything goes to hell. (laughs) Yeah, that was, and I don't understand like, okay, so a fight breaks out in a cell. Why does toilet paper and stuff start getting thrown in jail? Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't, why is it involve everybody else? I don't understand. It just, it becomes that teenager thing where everyone just needs, it's like, you know, everyone's locked up like in a zoo. It's just like the monkeys just start throwing everything. Out. It's like, you can't help, but, uh, uh, to, to go crazy, but you're, you're right. That, that whole initial prison breakout scene, uh, with, with Aiden Quinn. Yeah. I mean, it is so, you have to, it's like a heist, you know, they almost have to get everything perfect. Otherwise the whole plan goes to hell. Yeah. And then, you know, the buddy cop movies do a great job of there has to be the rivals, Right. So yes. that's kind of introduced right away. Then they're obviously rivals that worked with each other somewhat. So you can do pranks. See, like you can't pull that off a lethal weapon because the two don't know each other yet. Exactly. So they can't pull off pranks on each other because they don't have rivals yet. So, um, it just, it allows you, I, I don't know how many time how many buddy cop movies I've seen where the two actually know each other that well. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that. See, this is why we have you on, Sonny. So, uh, <laughs> speaking of, I was going to get into the the rival cops, and so they're actually two very well known actors, even though at the time they were kind of uh, somewhat unknown. I know Forrest Whitaker uh, was in Fast Times at Richmond High. He played like the the star. Um, football player that got his car <laughs> busted up by Sean Penn. Uh, but the other one is Dan Waria, who of course ends up playing Kevin Arnold's dad in the wonder years. 
Yeah, their de- their careers are definitely ascending at this yes. point, but they did a good job of kind of playing off each other. So that that part was really good. So what are your favorite pranks? So they played pranks on each other. What what were the fa- the the best ones you liked in in that particular you know the, those scenes? Yeah, the binoculars with the black eyes. That's a classic. Yeah, right. I I I I gotta say I've probably done that to somebody. Uh, the <laughs> cat in the car I thought was pretty good because <laughs> they had the bulldog. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So those were probably my two favorites. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to kind of divert here. I, are you a prank player? Like, do you pull pranks on people? Not really. I'll um, embellish the story and people <laughs> will start believing something. And then I'll tell them like three and a half years later, dude, what are you talking about? I was kidding. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll do that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm not much of a prank puller. I never have been. You are. No, not at all. But I, I just like in your job, I, I would assume that you'd have to meet people um, that have pulled some crazy pranks at some point or no. Uh, no, because, you know, there's because I've always worked for um, basically Fortune 200 companies. OK, there's a you know, there's some shady rules about like, don't mess with people too much, you know, sure. that kind of thing. And then the other piece is I was a manager at 19. Okay. Right? So I had to, even though I was still growing, still growing at 51, by the way, um, my <laughs> <laughs> leadership skills, uh, you get to a point where the maturity hits fast when people start yelling you about stuff not getting done. So sure. uh, I, I probably took to the professionalism pretty quick. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then obviously times have changed. So yeah, <laughs> I yeah. think the workplace yeah. ethics and, and etiquette has, has changed a lot as well. So yeah. we get, uh, we'll go back to the movie. We, we get into... Eventually, Madeline Stowe comes in, into play, and she is drop dead gorgeous. So, just the ethics of the the timing of how Richard Dreyfuss's character could go and and try to approach her. This is another thing that could go completely wrong uh, in real life, but for some reason, it just totally works in the movie. Yeah, Chris's character has a swagger, right? Yeah, and that's I think that's what works. And there's a few actors that could have pulled something like that off. There's no doubt about it. Charlie Sheen could have pulled something like that off. Like you sure. have to have, it's a little comedy and a little charisma. Yeah. Uh, Madeline Stowe, the, I think the only other two movies I've ever seen her in is unlawful entry and mm-hmm. probably bad girls. I don't think I've seen anything else that Madeline, Madeline Stowe doesn't have a huge list of movies she's been in. Yeah. She was in, uh, the general's daughter with, Oh um, yeah. 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 John yeah. Travolta. Travolta. Yeah. But this was like one of her first movies, you know, because she was pretty much in like TV, TV movies and TV shows at that point. Yeah. And that whole scene where they meet each other or see each other at the grocery store, that was, first of all, written very well. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, there's no way even married four kids. I can't say no to Maria if she (laughs) asked for a ride. Like she's getting a ride. Like yeah. there's no way for now. I don't know if I go into our house and do all that other stuff. Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Who knows? It's Madeline Stowe. But uh, <laughs> I thought that was written well. Definitely. Like this whole this whole script was written well. I mean, everything just just flows so nicely. Um, do you do you think that? Because I always like to ask this about you know, would you have swapped? The, do you think Dreyfus was the perfect Chris and and Estevez was the perfect Bill, or do you, do you feel at some point they could have been reversed? Taking the totality of what I've seen and the films that I've seen them in, mm-hmm. I think they had the right parts. Okay. Because I think Emilio Estevez at times tries too hard. Like, remember that movie uh, with the garbage cans? What was that? Garbage Oh, Men at Work. Men at Work. Yeah. Like, he almost tried too hard to keep up with the funny. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't come natural. Where Richard Dreyfus, I've seen him in, bunt, like, I love Down and Out in Beverly Hills. I love yeah. Let It Ride. Like, there's... And then he can do like stuff like the American president or W. So he, he can do both sides. And I think his charisma worked better. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I just wanted to ask that because, you know, some people see different, uh, different things in different people, but I agree. Like I couldn't imagine them, their roles being, being that much different. Would you, are you fine with Emilio as, as playing Bill or would you have picked someone else to play that role? Uh, I'm good with that. I, okay. I think, uh, I thought he did a good job of the character kind of connecting the wife along with it, right? That he's in love with somebody. He's trying to be the good guy. Chris takes too many risks. You need somebody that's the yang to your ying. Um, right. He's funny enough to be involved in the pranks. You know, um, that whole thing, you know, lick my left one, buddy, like right out of the gate. <laughs> right? You can tell that he's got a mouth on him, yep. but he's not willing to go the next level. Like Chris right. is going 
to the level that's going to get you in trouble instead of making the job fun. Right. Um, so and, I thought he played the the character well. Right. He's he's the even keel, the 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 balanced one because Chris is kind of on edge after his personal life is kind of going to hell. Yeah, no doubt. And I thought the guy who played uh Kaler. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. remember his name right now. Yeah, Ian Tracy. Oh, Ian Tracy. Yeah. Ian yep. Tracy. He had a similar thing going, right? Because he broke Aiden out of jail, but then you see scenes where he's conflicted. Like, is it worth rubbing somebody out for 273 bucks? I'm not shooting at cops. Right. Right. You got to stop. Even after he got shot, it's like, stop running kind of thing. Um, now Aiden, you know, wasn't going to save him after that he died, whatever, but no. it was interesting that Kaler played that part of, look, I know we're doing this, but can we just like be free? Do we still got to be bad people? Right. So from your most recent viewing, if you can remember, are there anything that, that you picked up recently that you never really noticed? Or is there um, is there any kind of insight that you've grown to like as you've, you know, compared to where you watched it the first time as, as pretty much a teenager? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I th- I listened to the music a little bit mm. better, right? So okay. I'm like, wow, he's he's dancing to Rhythm's Gonna Get You. Oh, that's, right. that, that's a hit, right? <laughs> yeah. Or that they're using Higher Love. I'm like, wow, that was a number one hit. And I'm yeah. like, wait a second, that's Mr. Mister at the end. I didn't even realize that was Mr. Mister at the end. Ah. Right. So, um, I also BC the bad guy that they were chasing at the beginning and to rope him in at the end is a great story. Right. Yeah. So what happens to me is when I watch a movie 30, 40, 50 times, then I start st- thinking about, okay, this has to get past the just entertainment factor. It's like, just like you said, would there be other actors that would be better than this? What is the director doing that I'm kind of noticing? And I, I, I want to share another notice with you. That's really weird. Um, and then, you know, do I like the way the story comes together? Does the mm-hmm. guy have to get the girl at the end? And in this movie, it has to happen that way. There's no sure. doubt. Then I start thinking stupid things like, what would I do if I found money in furniture? <laughs> right? Like you get to that point. I don't know. What would you do? Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a great point. I I would just ha ah, I morally got to do the right thing, but yeah, if you're in that situation as them, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> so here's the weird thing. Yeah. So if you remember, Kaler was on the car hood, flipping the cigarette into his mouth. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's one other movie that I've seen that in in a kind of a buddy cop type environment, and it was The Hard Way. If oh you remember, yeah, James, James Wood Woods. doing the same. It's yeah. the same director. Huh? Is that See, weird? That's, yeah, that no, but that totally makes sense. That's a great. Um, that's a damn good movie memory. That's uh, <laughs> that that totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Also, the director uh, he directed War Games with Matthew yeah. Broderick, and most famously Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, I, those two movies I haven't seen that often, but I've obviously I've seen them a couple of times. Yeah, and the other one would be uh, Short Circuit, which came out right before Stakeout. So, the Johnny Five. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I also uh, thought yeah. it was interesting when Chris is telling Maria the truth. I'm <laughs> like, oh my God, this is not going to go well. And I thought it was really good acting for a, really a comedy. There's a great balance here because there is a lot of comedy, but it's still serious enough to where you care about the characters. And I think it happens that it helps that Aiden Quinn doesn't come off as comedic. So right. that's what's keeping the serious in the movie. Because in that scene where he's apologizing, right, that's where the Inquisition is happening, too, between Aiden Quinn and Richard Dreyfus. So mm-hmm. um, I think that was part of the book. It's written really well. Like, it holds up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is a perfect transition. Do you like the sequel? Does that hold up with Rosie O'Donnell? I, I will tell you I love the sequel. Really? Okay. Love I it. own it, too. So I, I do yeah, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Maybe we'll talk about that one someday but yeah. I, I love it I, even with rosie o'donnell yeah she's okay. interesting in that movie because that's always tricky to i mean they had a perfect balance with with uh, with uh, emilio and uh, dreyfus so to throw in you know someone into the mix it almost seemed kind of you know it's like a token thing to, to have another person in, in the mix but yeah they, it's still an enjoyable movie yeah lethal weapon did that well right yeah. so oh, they're yeah. going and then you know at the end hell chris rock <laughs> right. Like, like you're throwing some, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> right. What, like, what are you doing here? Um, but uh, for me, all four of those movies work. Yeah. And they, they added a lot of characters because of course you had the, the love interest and then, um, and Joe Pesci. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as always, Sonny, thank you so much for doing this. And I, I think you're going to be on again real soon. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Stephen Michael from the Growing Up Rock podcast. Welcome back, Stephen. Hey, Brian Davis. Thanks for having me on, buddy. No problem. Well, we we had your... See, we're, we're doing buddy comedy. We're doing a buddy comedy. We're doing stick out. And we had your buddy on before, which was Sonny Pooney, of course, also on Growing Up Rock podcast. And uh, so it's good. I, this is one of the few times where you two both like the same movie. Which is incredible since neither one of us really <laughs> likes the same of almost anything. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, as a standard question I ask most people that the guest on, on the show, how did you discover this? Was it in the theater? Uh, was it on cable? Was it a rental? How, how did you uh, find out about Stakeout? Yeah, so that's an interesting question because it's always hard for me to remember. As Sonny likes to point out, I'm older than dirt. So, (laughs) uh, you know, it's amazing that I remember anything past breakfast, to be honest. But (laughs) what year did this movie come out? 1987. 87. So I have to guess that I would have seen this in the theater because you're hanging out with your friends around that period of time and going to see flicks in the theater. And there wasn't a whole lot happening with uh, VHS and certainly no DVDs at that point in time. So uh, I would probably guess that I saw it in the theater. Okay. So uh, usually my follow-up question would be, you know, did what about this interests you, but it sounds like, you know, cause we used to do this back when we were growing up. I, you know, maybe you'd see a trailer, maybe not, but you just kind of show up to the theater and pick a movie and, and then just go. So maybe it was something like that. Well, it was probably something like that, but we also gravitated towards like buddy cop flicks and okay. comedies and things like that. I mean, so it had, it was a buddy cop flick. I liked Richard Dreyfus. I liked Emilio Estevez at the time and, uh, you know, buddy cop flick. What, what's not to like? So we, we get into the film and, um, the best part about this is really the back and forth, the dialogue and, and obviously the bond between, uh, uh, you know, Dreyfus and, and Estevez. Do you actually like the plot or is it the plot secondary and, and to the actual, you know, comedy behind all of this? Well, I think I pointed out to you in previous episodes that I'm not one that digs too deep into plots and finds holes and strips down movies and analyzes them left and right. I mean, for mm-hmm. God's sakes, I don't have damn good movie memories <laughs> podcast. But what but what I will do is if I'm either entertained or not entertained. So I think the plot was pretty standard for the time. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So for me, it was a pretty simplistic plot. Uh, And it was a little bit, now that I think about it, it was a little bit maybe uh, 48 hours. Totally. Very much so. And then, of course, I mean, the... Well, not stand out, but she she really did stand out. Madeline Stowe. I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous there. And uh, how, how could... Um, even though like none of this is real, like this, this probably wouldn't happen in real life. Who knows? Maybe, maybe we just, we read news reports about this all the time, but Dreyfus basically, you know, risked this investigation just to, um, you know, kind of, you know, hook up with Madeline Stowe, man, I'll tell you what, she is hot in this movie. She, she's perfect. And this is really like kind of her first starring role. And so you would think she would have maybe been a bigger star than, than what turned out. Yeah, because she hasn't done a ton. I mean, she's famous and you know who she is, but she hasn't done a ton of stuff. And she never really, in my opinion, broke out. No, no, she's a solid actress, but it's just, you know, I guess timing's everything and who your agent is and who, you know, what scripts are offered to you. And, um, but she holds her own. She's not just a pretty face in this. I think she does a great job acting as well. Yeah, no doubt. I thought she did a good job. Here's what I'll tell you about her particular part. Sure. Uh, I think the character was um, something McGuire was her character's name. Maria. Maria McGuire. I don't necessarily know if I buy her as a Latin actress because Mm -hmm. that's that's what she was portraying. Right. Right. And by Uh, the way, McGuire, not a Latin name. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So we get in. Okay. so then we get into the the villain. How did you feel about Aiden Quinn? Aiden Quinn had done a couple of other things. And oddly enough, one of my nieces 
lives in Chicago and knows Aiden Quinn because that's oh, really? where he's from. Okay. So that's actually where I first heard of him. I thought he did a decent job. I didn't think there was anything wrong with uh, the job he did, especially for 1987 when this movie came out. And the first thing I saw him in was Desperately Seeking Susan. He mm-hmm. played uh, he played Dez. So he, he was he was kind of a standout there. Yeah. So you recently rewatch this. What sticks out um, in this? Is it is it the comedy or is it are, are there certain scenes that, that really, um, you know, uh, that you remember? So the there's a scene that came to me at the be- towards the beginning of the movie that I swear I don't remember in <laughs> any way, shape or form. And I caught it on this rewatch last night, which is where. Uh, Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfus are settling into their stakeout position in that house across the thing for the first time, I think. So they're just getting squared away in there. And Emilio Estevez makes the comment, we're going to need a bigger boat. And Richard <laughs> Dreyfus is like, oh, what? And he just kind of blows it off. I thought that was hilarious because that connected with me like literally immediately. So I thought that was pretty funny. Absolutely. Because if you don't know people listening and they, they definitely should know uh, Richard Dreyfuss famously played Hooper in, in the original Jaws. Yeah, definitely. And that's his, that's one of his famous lines, right? Absolutely. That, that is the line, you know, (laughs) from, from that movie. So I thought that was awesome. And I also think that the interplay going on between Dreyfus, uh, Estevez and the other two cops was fun. All the pranks happening, all the different back and forth pranks that are going on. I think if you don't have that kind of stuff happening in this movie, this movie's a whole lot less funny and really just not that entertaining to me. Yeah, and probably very dark. Yeah, what was your favorite prank that was that was pulled? And, and the other two cops are actually pretty famous, too. You have Dan, uh, Dan Loria, who, of course, ke- played uh, Kevin Arnold's dad in uh, The Wonder Years, yep. and then Forrest Whitaker. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, where did that come in Forrest Whitaker's career? It was after Fast Times, but exactly, yeah. So this some is, of the more famous stuff that he's done, right? Definitely. So I knew him from Fast Times. He was the the All Star football player who got his car totaled by Sean yeah. Penn. Um, so yeah, so it was right kind of in the middle. Uh, he was in Platoon. Um, so yeah, he was starting to really ramp up, and then the next that same year, he'd been Good Morning Vietnam. So right. Yeah. yeah, uh the pranks, man. I, I don't <laughs> I don't know if it was the best prank, but it wasn't it was pretty funny. It was the dog turds in the refrigerator on the plate. <laughs> yeah. And then the toilet paper uh like falling out of the ceiling on the one guy's head. That was pretty funny. Yeah. And then and then I absolutely love the cat in the car chasing the freaking uh bulldog the away. Bulldog. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, they had to bring the dog everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. And so we uh, are there any other scenes that, that stuck out for you? No, offhand. Those were those are some of my favorite scenes. I will say that looking back on this movie, I don't know if you're ready to hear my final synopsis or not. Yeah. Know? Give me what you got. I mean, looking back on this movie after watching it yesterday, I don't think it was as funny as I remember it being hmm. when I initially watched it. I thought it was good. But I found it in certain places to be a little bit slow for me. Um, Not majorly. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I definitely think it's still worth watching. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just that was just my impression in watching it last night. And it could all been a timing thing. Maybe I had something on my mind. Who knows? I don't know. But uh, in watching it last night, I just I remember loving it a whole lot more than I did last night when I watch it. And that. Again, it's not to say that I didn't like it. I just remember it being much more uh, fun for me. So, and and you definitely bring up a great point about being uh, a frame of mind when you watch a film because mm-hmm. there's time if you're not in a good mood and sometimes, or if you're not ready for a certain type of movie, then mm-hmm. you might disregard it. Or if you're just distracted in general, and then when you rewatch it at another time, uh, you're like, "Well, what did I miss?" It was that time? So I'm assuming you liked like you know a Lethal Weapon more than than this. <laughs> I did. And I'll tell you, looking and thinking and talking about this, you know what, you know what Stakeout lacked Hmm. uh, for me? Stakeout lacked some really good one-liners. 
those mm. one-liners that you're still repeating back to your uh, high school buddies today. A right. lot of those buddy cop flicks had those one-liners. If you think back to the, some of the lethal weapons or the 48 hours or some of those things, there were some really good one-liners that people still use today. Sure. And I think stakeout lacked some of those in my opinion. Right, right. And maybe they weren't going. Maybe that's what they weren't going for. They didn't want those those kind of psych gags. And to be fair, I think buddy cop movies were still in kind of its infancy stage at this point. I mean, now they're, you know, they became like the norm, I think, in the late 80s and then, you know, obviously throughout the 90s. So um, and again, the Lethal Weapon came out that same year and that kind of revolutionized everything. Yeah, I think I want to say something like uh, 48 Hours was probably one of the first uh, buddy cop flicks, right? Yeah, and even that's kind of loose because, you know, Eddie Murphy was basically a criminal. He wasn't necessarily a cop. He just became a partner, you know. True. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, and then and so we might as well quickly get into it. You really enjoy You like the sequel um, with Rosie O'Donnell. I do like another for, uh, another um, stakeout, another 48 hours. That's also <laughs> a title, isn't it? True. Yes. Uh, yeah. Another uh Another stakeout I remember enjoying as well. Now, to be honest, I haven't watched that flick in 500 years, same as stakeout, <laughs> but I watched stakeout last night. I may watch another stakeout tonight and go, yeah, that was awful. But I remember, <laughs> I remember liking it at the time with Rosie O'Donnell. Was it, did you like that flick? Was it any good? Or do you I own it. I own it. I, I do enjoy it. I don't enjoy it as much as the first one. Um, you know, I thought they were kind of shoehorning in uh, a new partner. Um, you know, it very rarely does that work. You know, going back to Lethal Weapon, it's amazing it worked with Lethal Weapon. I mean, they, they would add, uh, you know, they added a love interest for, for Mel Gibson. And then you had uh, Chris Rock eventually was in the movie, Joe Pesci. And so very rarely could you get something to work like that. And so um, Pesci, Pesci made those work. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I, he totally made it work. Um, but yeah, I enjoy it. What I never have understood, and this is just me being a DVD nerd, is on blue. They have another <laughs> stakeout on Blu-ray. They don't have it for the original stakeout, which makes no sense to me. But I don't know. Who can figure out movie uh, companies? They don't yeah. even know what they're doing. Yeah, maybe there's a different distributor for, for that, or they couldn't get the rights to the original. I don't know. But the original is on Touchstone, so. Yeah, and I don't, is Touchstone still, they're not even a company anymore, are they? Well, they were always a subsidiary of Disney, and uh, the very f- there's some fun trivia. The very first Touchstone movie was Splash with uh, Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah, and the only reason they did that is Disney kind of wanted to get into movies that weren't just, you know, totally sterile, you know, like the old, you know, the, the live-action Disney movies like Gus and, and you know, Absent-Minded Professor, and so they wanted to get a little bit more risque, and so by doing that, they, they created Touchstone. So, and that's what, uh, there are a lot of 80s movies that, that were through Touchstone Pictures. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So again, thank you so much, Stephen. And I know you're going to be on again real soon. Maybe even a, a a movie that your your partner likes as well. He doesn't like anything good. He <laughs> probably didn't even like this movie. Come on. <laughs> we'll be talking about that shortly. <laughs> thank you, Stephen. Thanks, Brian. See ya. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.